Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. We have a ton to cover today, Sherry. Are okay. you ready for that? Yeah. Do you want I to know am. what the topic is? Oh, let me guess. Sex. <laughs> We're going to talk about intimacy. Oh, again. Your favorite. Yes. But we have a ton to cover because we're not just talking about our relationship. Now, I know that you like to just focus on your sex life and just talk about your experiences. But do you think you can open your mind enough that we can talk about... Somebody else. Other things that we've learned? Yeah. That's what we're doing here today. We're going to expand... Our, we're going to share with our listeners how we have expanded our horizons, how we have learned not just through our own experience, certainly there's a lot of that, but through the experiences of others that people are uh, honest and open enough to share with us, and then also stuff that we've learned through research. And we really are going to make a lot of progress in uh, in what we're talking about. But before we can talk about the new stuff, we've got to talk about the you know, previous understanding or where we have been in our understanding of intimacy as it relates to alcoholism. So let's start with our long-standing beliefs. Here are three of them that all relate to each other. Did we did we converse about these long-standing beliefs so that it is a shared or are you Yes, we have talked about these. All right, I'm a little unaware of just three. Not directly before hitting the record button, but we did. Yeah. Well let me let's just ask. Let's see if you agree. Trust and alcoholism can't coexist. What do you think about that? Um, True. Full trust and alcoholism, yes. True. 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 Good. Intimacy is impossible without trust because of the requirement for vulnerability with intimacy. And vulnerability and trust are kind of related to each other. True. You agree with that? True. All right. So therefore... You didn't know you were in a high school logic class, did you? Therefore, alcoholism and intimacy are mutually exclusive. If you can't have intimacy without trust, and there is no full trust in alcoholism, you can't have full intimacy in alcoholism either. True. Alcoholism is the death of intimacy, or we're going to talk about that. I'm not sure how true that... There's a bit of a chicken or the egg thing there, but we'll talk about it. So there are two paths. Again, we're we're on stuff that we've already known. This is not new territory yet. There are two paths that sex normally takes in an alcoholic relationship. There is the unfortunate path that our sex life took, Sherry. The kind of dutiful, wifely sex. I know those are horrendous terms. It makes my stomach turn a little bit even to say them. But this is where sexual contact continues and you might love one another. I mean, certainly, I felt like you loved me, but you didn't like me. So there's love, but not like. And the, a ton of resentment builds up when you're having sexual contact and one party is doing it out of a sense of duty. Or what were some of the other reasons for you? It was... To keep me quiet, right? To keep you quiet, because if you wanted to have sex and I didn't, then there would be an argument and you would, or you'd whine around or, you know, it was this never, you couldn't, you, you're very bad with no. No, it's my body, my choice. Like in a marital relationship, you were very bad with that. Um, Also, sometimes I thought, oh, if you just, if I just have sex with him and he orgasms, then he'll pass out and then I could be done with him for the night. Um, I feel like I'm pretty open and open to my poor behavior when I was a drinker. Yeah. But I am going to defend myself just a smidge. When you said I was very bad with no, my body, my choice. In a, yeah, in America. I would argue with you for sure, but I was never forceful oh, you or never, raping. Yeah, no. But, but you would argue. Yes. And then that would become loud and it would become... Yeah troublesome and yeah i'm not looking way, for a yeah. pass i'm certainly You're not, not looking no prince no you you would have never like you know been forceful or anything like that you just would have argued all night long about it yeah which is almost as bad 
I admit is almost as bad, but not not quite not quite as bad. Yeah. Okay. And so when you're having that kind of dutiful, wifely God, those are awful terms. Just say marital. Okay. Like, like the, in a marital agreement, you can say I'm using air quotes. Okay. Because I'm sure that you know, in the, back have, in the day, people had to get married to have sex. Now people have sex and don't get married. So when you're using that, or when you're having that air quote sex, <laughs> is that what you meant? Marital in air quotes oh. sex. The dutiful. But a, a lot of resentment builds up for the wife. Fair. Um, more than fair. What do you mean, more than fair? Well, I don't even... I mean, I know resentment is the word, but the disgust, the, um, you know, anger, like the frustration, the disappointment, the, the just it just shows itself. Like, it, the alcohol just shows its ass when it comes to, like, I don't want to have sex with you. You're drunk. It's not going to be fun. I mean, it just it just shows all the ugly side of it. So I don't even know if resentment is the right word. There was so many more feelings I had about it. So. Yeah. Well, one of the really cool things about resentment is later, like when I was sober and maybe we were getting along better and I was being nice and I wasn't drinking, for me... As the, I think, I think there's a gender component and an alcoholism component. As the alcoholic who is also a guy, I was able to just completely forget about that bad experience that caused you resentment and be like, oh, let's be loving and close and intimate. But you were unable to do that because it all kind of tied together. You couldn't just be like, oh, on Saturday, you were a complete ass and needy and selfish and drunk and slobbery. But here now it's Tuesday and you've taken a shower and haven't drank. So yes, I, I am just attracted to you and want to be all over you. That isn't how it worked for you. No. The resentment would win, right? Or carry the day. Yeah. Carry your emotions. Yeah. And I think that I had a lot of resentment about sex in our relationship fairly early on. Just because your ability to want to argue when you weren't getting your way about sex or the ego kind of the um busting that I did when I would when we when I would try to share with you like you know why I didn't want to or how I wanted to oh, or yeah. what felt good or can't we just cuddle those sort of things like so I think I've had a lot of resentment for a long time oh, I don't I'm know I'm so glad you let into that cuz we're going to get to that that's important that's part of what our kind of new knowledge is mm -hmm. so kind of discovering that not only in ourselves but just from other stuff that we've learned. So that's one of the paths. The air quote sex. The other path that uh, alcoholic relationship can take is the no sex path. Um, mm, what a dream that would have been. What, and, and it would have been better. It would have been easier to work <laughs> out later once I was sober. Yeah, because then maybe as a sober, sane, loving, fun Matt, I would have found you sexually attractive. But because of all those negative feelings I had and memories and it kind of made it a lot bigger hurdle to absolutely but one thing about the no sex path I think that builds resentment for both parties it might not be as severe it might not be as much to come back from as what you and I have experienced but there's still so now you know, uh, neither party is getting what they want. So the rejection is the rejection added to the rejection is there. The, you know, you as the spouse are becoming increasingly unattracted to your drunken husband. So that's so more of a self-esteem blow. The alcoholic, yeah, faces self-esteem blow and rejection. And so there's resentment on both sides in that case. So really... I mean, we could stop right here and wash our hands of it and say, what this is telling us is that uh, if you have alcoholic tendencies, if you're working toward addiction or you're just drinking too much and you don't want to label, that's fine. Yeah. It's not going to be good for your intimate relationship. It, there's just no way that it can be. Right. But we're not going to stop here and wash our hands, Sherry. We're going to keep going. I know you're excited about that. We're going to talk about some new topics. The childbirth fork in the road. <laughs> I took lots of notes on this, so uh, 
That's the first thing. There were some pretty my first calls. Note. Yeah. The childbirth fork in the road. So, women mature when childbirth takes place, and they focus on being a mom. They focus on nursing the child and caring for the child and nurturing the child and all of these things. That becomes just a kind of maternal instinct focus. And the men, we just, for the most part, keep on drinking. And for a long time, I never dove any deeper and I thought, oh, okay, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, because the you, Sherry, and other females have babies and you're more mature maybe at that stage in life than I was and a lot of men are, you're just making like a conscious like brain decision that I'm going to focus on the baby and stop drinking. But it's much deeper than that. There are definitely underlying issues, female biological issues and hormonal issues. I mean, women, from what we've learned, are often just not interested in sex at that point in their life. It, it doesn't sound good. You're focused on your responsibilities. You're in pain. Um, from childbirth, you're in pain from breastfeeding because that can be very painful. I mean, I remember, I very specifically remember you sharing that with me. Yeah. So. Well, but you were also very much a big part of, especially with our first child, while we're figuring it all out. I, you know, you weren't an alcoholic then. You just drank a little heavily, um, you know, and more often than others. But you were very, you know, a part of our daughter's life when she came into the world. And we had, you know a lot of growing pains and that we worked through together and you were very helpful. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah. But I think you thought you were being helpful and then you thought, oh, well, when we get that six-week checkup, she'll remember all that I'm helpful for and we can go right back at it. But that didn't happen because it was still a long process of recovery after childbirth. And Yeah. So what what was it like for you from that kind of you know, hormone-driven, biological-driven, emotional standpoint. Mm. Like, were you, you know, okay, six-month, six-week checkup, good point. Uh, I'm ready to go, and you're not interested. Is that fair to say? Yeah. For me, I wasn't interested at all. I mean, maybe some women are, but I think it's when they're in a healthy relationship and they've enjoyed their sex with their partner for a long time. Um, yeah, the last thing I ever thought about was having sex at that point because she, you know, nursing and we kind of did the on demand. I didn't have a schedule for her cause I was staying home. You were working, like just trying to figure it all out. Every woman's different. I think it's fair for you to say that, you know, some women, maybe if their relationship was stronger, if their previous intimate connection was better, that they would be interested, you know, early on after six weeks or whatever, yeah, early on into imagine. having a newborn. But the, but we've just heard from too many people yeah. that say no to that for me to believe that that's common. And I think here's the misinformation or the lack of information for most guys. You know, we're told, okay, physically... She's good to go. I, I get. I don't remember, but you're saying it's at a six-week appointment. That's like a pretty was, common thing. Yeah. I mean, if you had like normal, sure. you know, a normal, normal childbirth without a lot of, of complications. and So physically, you're good to go, but emotionally, biologically, mm. hormonally, you're not. Oh, yeah. Nobody, there's no like training for that. I, I don't, well, know. I don't even Did know. Did you know that? Did you know that you wouldn't be, that you would have this lingering disinterest? No. I, and we did So the even classes. the woman doesn't like, know. Like, we did classes. I read books. I felt like I was on top of it. And I know that they, you know, a lot of them was like, you're not going to be interested in that sort of stuff. Your, your body is geared towards, you know, protecting and taking care of your child. Honestly, if, like, I had a dream or somebody said, oh, it's either Matt or the baby, you know, and you got to kill one of them right now, I know exactly what I would do. I would have been, like, Killing you in your sleep because if somebody said that's how you have to protect your baby, I absolutely would. There's no doubt about it. Like there is a. Well, that's... I'm sorry, but there is like no doubt about it. Like you are so connected and hormones, like it's driven. I mean, that's how that's how babies stay alive. You know. All you got to do is watch Nat National Geographic, you know, planet shows to know <laughs> that that's true. I mean, aren't there species where the Woman and ten, the 
female intentionally kills the male um, after that's like a brook. spiders or all right well there are species and, with yeah there's but, but, but that idea that you would choose you as the mother would raccoon. choose the child over me that you know i guess now is not surprising at all right i don't think that's unique to you i think that's Super common. I think that's how we're designed. Probably. Yeah, I think there should be a lot more conversation. Absolutely. With with the new parents, and because of just that hormonal shift of like, you release, you know, feelings and hormones when you're breastfeeding, but they are not good feelings geared towards. Oh, I feel, you know, I feel happy that I'm able to feed my baby, but it's not. Oh, I'm I'm happy, and now I want to go and have sex or. So here you are, the guy, and you have not had sex with your wife for quite a while. And often, not always, but often the male is the has the higher sex drive than the female. And so you are just revved up and raring to go, and you get the thumbs up from the doctor. And what you and you expect, I'll tell you this from the male perspective: you expect. I mean, the wife hasn't had it for a long time either so you expect her to be excited about intimacy too and then she's not and whether you you have sex and it's it's you know i mean you must there must be part of you at that point that's like oh you know he's a horny little bugger and he's bad. waited a long time so i feel bad yeah yeah so guilt sex guilt so, sex okay you know. so so you've got that component and then and and then you've got um you know the male that's pushing for it and is honestly sad that you're not more into it whether you acquiesce or not you're not more into it and it creates there is something that you know there is a rejection that is inherent even in consent sometimes often i'd say or yes you're agreeing but you're not fired up what was it and i can tell you're not fired up. okay fine what? Okay, fine. Isn't that what I would say? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. God, that. <laughs> I just watched Matt chills. like go through a PTSD like face look like. Yeah, you're saying my... to the person you love most on the planet and that you're hugely attracted to, you know, okay, would you like fine. to make love? And you get back. Okay, fine. Oh, <laughs> remember I used to push you for a while because you would never say yes. I would say, well, do you want to? And he would say, fine. And I'd say, I didn't ask if it was yeah. fine or not. Do you want to? See? And you'd say, yes, it's fine. Okay, so listeners, this is why <laughs> I just gave in right away, because that attitude right there... Okay, that's fair. ...was the reason that they'd be arguing all night long. But can you can you I, see it from the other side? If you ever said, okay, fine, fine. You want if you ever said, okay, fine, I would be like, oh, great, now he's just on the same wavelength that I'm on, if I asked you. I don't think it would upset me, because it's still a answer towards the positive. Yeah. I don't know. I wanted if you wanted. I can't help it. I wanted you to be interested. But I'm, I'm going to go back to a few sentences ago. You said it had been a long time. You were hoping that you could be intimate. Um, but at that point, I that's where I think that the, we're splitting hairs and we're calling sex and intimacy the same sort of thing. I think as six or eight weeks out from childbirth... I would want to be intimate, but I wouldn't want to have sexual relations. I wouldn't want to try to have orgasm. If, like, you were to say, let me just lay, you know, you lay down and I'll rub your back and we'll just cuddle and, you know, that sort of stuff. Because you're probably still not feeling sexually aroused or whatever. I would have been. You're not. Yeah. Yeah. If you were to say those things to me, I would have been like, yes, because that is a form of intimacy. Now, the penetration and you know, the sexual act, I probably wouldn't have been, you know, happy with, given the option that there could just be gentle touches and hugging and that sort of stuff. So let's bring in alcohol into the equation. So you're postpartum, you're not interested for really, you know, serious, important understandable reasons now that I understand them didn't understand them at the time but now that I understand them and your husband's horny and selfish not only is he horny but he's a drinker so now he is selfish Mm -hmm. and he is you know 
moving toward the animal brain versus the logical brain. Mm. So rather than be compassionate and empathetic, mm. he's just lusty and, you know, kind of gross. Mm -hmm. And when I say he, I mean me. <laughs> Which is He sounds like a prize. A, he is a prize. But that that's another area where this is just... It's such a serious thing to understand, but unless we dive as deep in as you and I have, which nobody does this, how would you ever come to this understanding? You would just build resentment and resentment and resentment. You'd be resentful of me because I'm pushy and I want it, and I'd be resentful of you because you can say fine, but you can't say that you want it back. So I have a question. As a drinker, yes, you know, let's let's fast forward to like baby number two three and four when you were in, I think, active alcoholism. Okay. Like you had already tried to quit a few times here and there. Say you had all that knowledge about the hormones, about the body, the female body needing repair, how the, you know, the sexual organs are not sexual organs anymore. They were baby making organs and life providing milk organs now. So it is not at all, you know, and you know, I'm feeling fat and saggy and honestly, I think I can throw you under the bus. There was one comment after pregnancy. Oh, good. Oh, good. About the size that I was just, you know, I had just had babies and so I wasn't quite as... So you know, I said something rude? Yeah. Yeah. You said something Shocking. rude about, a, about size. So... Like, oh, so then insensitive comments. But I wonder, as you were a drinker and you're becoming in your animal brain, or is it the reptilian brain that you go to? I think it's the same thing, I think. Okay. So you're going there, say, yeah. and then you're told no. Would you be able to still accept that? Accept no? Accept no, and understand why that I wouldn't have been ready. Oh, if, if I had, all, had all of that knowledge still, biology and hormones? but then you're drinking. Does that just all get shot out the window? No, it doesn't all get shot out the window, but the you take a, a high sex drive, which is motivating you in one direction, and then you take your logic, because you understand this stuff now, which is countering that and hopefully evening you out, and then you put alcohol on top of it, and it's going to make it really hard to remain c compassionate and remember the the knowledge stuff as opposed to the impulse stuff. I mean, that's what alcohol does and certainly did for me is just make those impulses. It's like it's like they're they're red and flashing and on fire now, the impulses. The impulses are always there. Like I'm, I mean, you know this, I'm horny most of the time, <laughs> right? Not all the time, but most of the time. But most of the time, and certainly now in sobriety, I, you know, can tamp that down and say, you know, let's wait for a little bit later. It'll be fine. We, you know, now's not the time. And everything's fine. It's not like I go through life completely stressed because I'm not constantly having sex. But when you put alcohol on top of a, you know, a, a natural, acceptable, human, normal, it's okay to feel this way feeling, it, it just, it brings it to the forefront and it's there all the time. So uh, my answer is I don't know because I didn't have that knowledge when I was in that situation, I mean, it certainly 100% would have gone better than it did without that knowledge. Mm -hmm. But would the alcohol still have overridden and I still would have been pushy? Probably. Probably. Mm -hmm. Maybe not to the same extent. Mm -hmm. Maybe I would have pushed different buttons because I knew, you know, you you weren't feeling at all sexual. And so maybe, that, maybe I would have crafted a different approach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As opposed to, you know, because honestly, a lot of the times when I was encouraging you, I wanted you to enjoy it too. Mm -hmm. So I would say things in that vein, you know, hey, let's, there, there were times, not often, I'm not trying to be this hopeless romantic, but there were times where I would suggest like music or candles or something like that. Because I thought if we could just get you in the right mood, then you would be there. You know, now knowing what I know about again, biology and hormones or whatever, I probably wouldn't try that. I would know that there's nothing that's going to get you in that mood. But is there some other approach to this? Like, hey, um, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. And can mm. we make that a loving thing and not just a resentful thing? Okay. I don't know. 
It would have been classless and awful. I know that's for sure. Because even, the even alcohol, if I tried a different angle, the alcohol, yeah, just selfish and 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 then maybe throwing in a little shame because your logical brain is still talking like, hey, you know this information, but you feel guilty for your feelings. Yeah, and how the alcohol is making you behave, think, or at least the next day. Think about when you have an itch, and then something makes it like ten times worse. That that's kind of what it's like. I don't know if that's a fair way to describe it, but. You got an itch and it's tolerable, and now you know you've got a ten times worse itch. It's no longer tolerable, and you're just gonna do whatever it takes to scratch it. That's what it's like. Okay. It's not fair. It's not okay, but that's what it's like. I have a question back for you. So, do you think that women really, when we talk about the fork in the road, the childbirth fork in the road, do you think that women really mature and men do not? Or do you think that, and that's why men keep drinking, or do you think perhaps that because of the rejection that men receive, both the out-and-out rejection and then also the subtle rejection that's inherent in consent that is like, fine, fine, I guess we'll do it, that, that kind of rejection, do you think that that causes men to drink more? Do you think that that caused me to drink more? So do you think that you really matured and I didn't mature or did your natural biological and hormonal direction push me away enough that it, I'm not blaming you for my alcoholism. Let me be crystal clear. I would never blame a spouse for a husband's alcoholism. But that being said, hmm. do you think that perhaps is why I drink? More? Well, I think that it's hard to say mature Versus not mature, because there were a lot of parts of our life that you were a very responsible adult, where I was not always a responsible adult. So I think using the word mature... It's too broad. It's too broad. Okay. I think definitely there were areas where biology kicked in and made me a different person after having a child. Whereas you had different expectations, like you probably had more stress about making sure that nothing happened to the job and that I had a safe car and the car seat. I mean, I remember you climbing around in the crib like a monkey to make sure that it wouldn't fall apart on this six-pound infant that we brought home, you know? So no one wanted to be at Babies R Us with you at that point. I had a nickname, Captain Safety. Captain Safety, yes. So so I'm sure that it that biology part of it kicked in, but in a... You know, but that didn't change how you felt for me. So I think that using the word mature is too broad. I think that you were often hurt by the rejection and that you would find comfort and maybe comfort and misery, you know, to commiserate, you would drink. Or you would, or you, like it was a boredom thing. Like, oh, well, we can't have sex now. It's late at night. What can I do? I'll just go drink some beers and watch TV. So I think it could possibly have turned you to drinking more just to settle your boredom. I mean, God only knows how many times I was trying to sleep upstairs and you were downstairs on a weekend night watching TV, fairly loud, passed out. Yeah. With some beer bottles or vodka bottle, like, you know, like a vodka glass in front of you. So I like your rejection of the word maturity because I think that kind of makes the point that I'm I'm just now starting to understand to be true that we were both maturing we were both getting older having a baby was serious for me too in a different way it 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 didn't give me that hormonal drive it didn't change my body into a a, a baby making baby nurturing Mm -hmm. you, you know, wouldn't have killed me to save the sexual... would you have killed me to save the baby that's a really hard thing to answer <laughs> but I don't I think mean like as the... a female we know what we would I know, do but... I, I, no, my, yeah. my honest answer is I don't think that's the way males are wired I think, yeah. I think I mean it crushes me to say this but I think that you have always been at the top of the food chain for me I love my children so much so yeah. so 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 much I would die for my kids easily no questions asked but I do think there's a difference there a uh, 
just ingrained gender difference there. Mm-hmm. But so I think, I guess the point is, I've said for a long time, women mature when they have a baby and they stop just, wanting to drink yeah. and party and men don't mature. We're just, we're just, we just still want to party. I don't think that's true anymore. I think the drinking changes for us at that point. It's things aren't the same anymore. I'm no longer maybe attractive to my spouse or finding intimate moments is a lot harder to come by. And so, like you said, it doesn't start out evil, right? It's just, I don't feel very good because she doesn't want to be with me. So, you know, I'm just going to have a drink. It's Mm -hmm. innocent. It starts out innocent. I mean, and it would be sort of like, you know, what you would do with a piece of, oh, there's a piece of chocolate cake in the fridge downstairs calling you. We've gotten a little squabble. I don't feel so good. You roll over and go to sleep. I might go down and have some of that chocolate cake. Exactly. And then before I know it, the chocolate cake's gone. Right. It's not meant to But you're probably not going to eat another chocolate cake the next day and another one the day after. And that's where addiction becomes... Only I could. ...a real bitch. Yeah. Because addiction hooks us in. All right. So this is good. Childbirth fork in the road. Check. We've talked about that one. Um... Well, one thing I'm going to say, too, which we didn't talk about is, like, I think that when you are in love and you have a spouse who really, really loves you, I know there's instances where the spouse has been kind of turned off by the pregnant body or the postpartum body. Um, But when there is genuine love and attraction, like, that doesn't hold true for, for guys a lot of time. They're like, you know, whatever. You could be wearing a gunny sack and... I still want you. You know, you could have not yeah. brushed your teeth for a week, and I still want to kiss you. That's you know? me to you. I still right. Want, yeah. So, but I think there's also insecurity and an uncomfort that we often, as a postpartum body, oh sure, is out there. So probably didn't help that time that you said I, I mentioned it too. <laughs> yeah. So sorry about that. So all I know it wasn't. I I remember it, but I never have held on to it. Like in a ven- you know, vengeful way, um, but I think that there's this self-esteem, and and you, as the drinker, you don't understand that. Like to try to explain it would just be pointless, especially in the heat of a moment. Like you said, that logical knowledge you might have when you're sober just doesn't even happen when there's alcohol involved. Yeah. So, but so there's a lot of missing communication there. We're going to come back to the topic of communication because. I think it's huge there, you know, you, so you feel a certain way and it's hard for you after just having given birth to a child to understand how you feel. And it's hard for you to express how you feel. I have no concept of how you feel because that's never been part of the curriculum and I've never been through it before. So there's just a ton of lack of communication. That's maybe nobody's fault. At least not, it's not, the couple's fault in the moment, that's for sure. Has the education, educational system let us down at some point? I could make that argument pretty easily. Mm-hmm. And parents don't really know how to say it, but gosh, I feel really... Uh, there's a lot of people who are parents who don't understand it. Yeah, because we, yeah. But they, they've boy, never I feel... been taught and what they've experienced God, is just What do our boys painful. have to look forward to in our future potential son-in-law? <laughs> like... Remember when we sat down and talked to them about sex when... <laughs> our boys and our son-in-law? Yeah, you're going to talk to them all about, like, if they have kids. Like, when your wife is pregnant or your partner is That would is be pregnant. their wife-in-law. Our wife-in-law. Oh, my God. Edit this out. Like, you're not getting it. Like, you're going to talk to our boys. Yes. Very explicitly. Right. When they're men. Yes. And they have a pregnant partner. Right. About postpartum sex. Exactly. Gonna be a very and then our future potential son-in-law or whatever male partner to our daughter oh. if she's pregnant, you're gonna like I'm rope him into the conversation yeah, too. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Oh my God, you need to edit this out. It's gonna be good. Um, let's talk about porn. Okay. At least it's an area that we don't have personal experience in, so we'll share what what we what our understanding is, and we'll move on. So. Pornography is a huge, huge, huge problem. It's getting bigger and bigger because of accessibility. It's so easy uh, to get porn on any of your devices. You don't have to pay for it. 
it, it you don't even have to pay for very very graphic porn. Um, I'm I know there's a you accidentally can run across porn if you yeah. inadvertently type in something incorrectly. I know there's a revenue stream somewhere because I've heard you know it's a billion dollar industry. So I don't I I can't I don't understand how it's free and it's also a billion dollar industry. So I'm sure you get into certain fetishes and you have to pay for it or you want to consume a certain quantity and there's only some a limited amount that's that's free. It's got to be something quality like that. Quality porn is paid for something know, like, like that. Yeah. But the the as it relates to intimate relationships and intimate relationships where alcohol is a heavy component as well, often men who are addicted to porn can't perform or just have a lack of interest in their wives. They have somehow kind of, you know, transferred what their vision is of sex and intimacy to the thing that they're seeing on the screen. And so a normal relationship can't possibly satisfy. It's my understanding anyway. Um, you know, porn is for the most part devoid of intimacy. So when we talk about how porn impacts true intimacy, things like what you talked about, just rubbing your back and cuddling with no expectation of orgasm. I mean, that's not ever depicted in porn. So <laughs> if you're looking, if you're watching a bunch of porn, you're certainly not going to get any cues for how to have an intimate relationship. Right? Are you I'm just thinking of like, maybe we can like break into the porn industry with like cuddle porn and nice hug porn and things like that. I have heard of something called a cuddle no. puddle, but I don't think <laughs> I don't that's, think the that's... Same. No, and no, no, no. 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 So you have no idea how to be intimate, and, you know, this whole topic is just absolutely terrifying for the next generation. At least, you know, I'm 48. At least anyone who's into porn that's my age, at least they had a shot at being an awkward teenager and a horny 20-something where they actually had to find flesh and blood, a woman that was willing and interested in them to have their first experiences. I mean, kids are starting at age 10 watching porn now and way before they ever have actual contact with the opposite sex, they're grooving their patterns and uh, super scary. Mm -hmm. Super scary. Um, so do you think that a, a lot of alcoholics who are maybe being rejected in their romantic life from their partner because of drinking then would make bad choices to stay up late and look at porn to have self-gratification and then that's sure. carving another niche and adding a, a second addiction to their already alcohol addicted brain absolutely i don't think it's one thing necessarily causes the other i think that's a scenario that certainly takes place, but I think it's just as easy for work stress to cause you to decide at 11 o'clock in the morning that you, I'm just going to take, i got to relax, I'm going to take 20 minutes and look at some porn. And when people say look at some porn, they're talking about jacking off. So I don't know why I said that so angrily. God, I know. It's but it's like not like shocking. what we're talking about is just the visual component. There's the orgasm is a part of it. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think it can, just like anything, there can, the underlying factors can be very numerous. But yes, rejection can certainly be one of the underlying factors. I don't know why I got so angry there. But shock value, I suppose. This episode's gone off the rails. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to have to edit the whole thing out. Um, so communicating satisfaction is so hard. That's what my next note talks about. Now we are going to talk about sex ed. We're going to talk about that shitty fifth grade experience that we had where the boys go in one room and the girls go in another room and you watch some stupid movie and you talk about menstrual cycles. And here's the problem with Peter sex Peter. ed at, you know, in, in public schools, certainly for our generation. It focuses on penetration. And there are two reasons. The thing that the sex ed is there most to get across, most to educate about is unwanted pregnancy 
and sexually transmitted diseases. But we didn't talk about that when I was in fifth grade. That was a little further down the road, like eighth grade, for our school system that I went to. Okay. Periods and pubic hair and body odor, that's what we talked about in fifth fifth grade. grade. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so whatever time frame it is that you're talking about it, the you're talking about penetration because we want to prevent unwanted pregnancy. So we're talking about abstinence, but we're also talking about condoms, right? Mm-hmm. And we're talking about um, STDs. STDs, same thing, abstinence or condoms. That's the way to prevent it. But it's focused on penetration, the, you know, the, the kind of Puritan definition of sex. You and I and probably all of our listeners know sex encompasses a lot more than penetration. But because that's all it's focused on, that generalization, you know, we assume that as kids, as teenagers, that that's what sex is. It's penetration. And that the assumption is easily made, I certainly made it, that pleasure is the same for men as it is for women. What you do is you have this penetration and uh, feels good to the guy, and it feels good to the woman. But, you know, what we've learned now as adults who research this stuff, I'd I'd like to to, um, give a nod to Emily Nagoski, who has written a couple of best-selling books. Come As You Are is the book that you and I have read together. I think think the number that she gives in that book is that 80% of women cannot orgasm from penetration. Okay. So Did you double check that fact before you said it? No, it's 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 a thick book and you're I don't like, remember what page it's on. You're like looking around like there's going to be a uh, note I, card with the right. You think I'd be more professional. But if it's not 80%, it's close. I mean, I, I think that's the number. I would have thought it higher, but So 80% of women cannot orgasm from penetration and yet when we're first talked to about sex, both for the most part from our parents and also in the, the public school setting, or by your older sister, the only thing that we talk about is penetration. So this and is what sex is. It's this penetration thing, and it's a beautiful thing, and it's for people who are in love, and you know maybe you want to wait till you're married to do it. It's this beautiful thing, and it feels so good, and it's it's the physical embodiment of love. And the only thing that we talk about is the thing that can't bring women orgasmic pleasure. I mean, it's just crazy. I think it's just crazy. So, you know, so then pretend like you're a teenage boy for a second, Sherry. So you think that the key to being a ladies' man and making the women happy is... Size and penetration. Size and and lasting long. Mm-hmm. Okay, because it's all penetration. The woman's going to enjoy it if I can just do that for a long time. There's no talk about any kind of um, foreplay. There's no talk about how important the emotional relationship is to the sexual relationship, especially for a female. There's definitely no talk about clitoral stimulation. I mean, maybe you look at a diagram of the female anatomy and you know what the clitoris is, but you don't know what it's there for. Certainly not when you're 17 years old. And when it comes to conversations about sex with your friends, it is all about how big's your penis and how long did you last? Right? Mm. Fair? You remember being a 17-year-old boy. Yeah. That's what it was all about. Clearly, I remember. So we've got no shot is the point I'm trying to make. We have no hope. We are setting our kids we are setting each generation generation after generation up for failure and we probably pat ourselves on the back pretty hard because we've instituted some kind of sexual education you know curriculum in the public schools and we say oh look we can prevent stds and unwanted pregnancies great but we're setting all these kids up for failure when it comes to intimacy and female pleasure and it's just a huge disaster. Well, and I don't know if you can tell, but I'm kind of passionate about it. Yeah, well, that's why you're watching porn. I mean, I don't watch porn. I mean, if you're the 17-year-old boy. There's nothing shameful about watching porn, but I just don't. I and didn't, I'm saying never like all it. you try to do is, I mean, all some people do that, you know, watch porn to try to get the whole sexual experience figured out. So let's add something even more 
to this pile of uneducated crapola that we're left with to, to go out and become mature adults and have satisfactory relationships. Communication about satisfaction is completely demoralizing. As a guy, you think it's how big's your dick and how long can you last. And then, so when the woman that you're with wants to talk about how she would like to be touched or what the what feels better than another thing, all you're thinking is, I gotta last long and I hope it's big enough. And so... Because your ego is so inflated that you don't want to take any suggestions and you'll only look at it like criticism. Well, you hear terms like, you know, being bad in bed, like a guy being bad in bed. So you think if you're getting pointers, you must be bad in bed. So I don't know if it's because the ego is inflated or just the ego exists, I guess. I mean, maybe. Well, But it's just everything that you've been trained, both, you know, from the education system and also from your buddies up until this point points to the same thing and then all of a sudden someone you know a female tries to tell you gosh you know it would feel good let me tell you what would feel good you're like i know it feels good bang 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 long as i can okay so i'm going to break in and i'm probably gonna derail the rest of this conversation right but well there's the transgenerational messaging that women shouldn't enjoy sex that it is just about baby making and that it is pleasure for men. And so, for so many generations and year, thousands of years, you know, like women haven't been supposed to be, or they haven't been trained to enjoy sex. And if you did, there was something wrong with you. Okay. And there were... there were. So is that explicit? Did somebody, did somebody say that to you? That or is, is the that message, what you pick up from That media? is the messaging that happens so often. And I think the tide is turning a little bit, but not quite fast enough. But I think that... Those are things that, be like I said, is a transgenerational message that is just implanted in us because of the conversations have been so long. I mean, like you read in the Bible, I mean, there are stories, you know, about women who are prostitutes and they're looked down upon, you know, because they're, they're prostitutes and that's the way they could make money because maybe they never married. But it's never a criticism to the men that go to the prostitutes. Even if they're married. Or how many men in the Bible have, you know, many wives. So it is okay for the men to enjoy sex, but it's not okay for the woman to enjoy sex or to understand about sex. And she's there to please the man and make the babies. So even in cultures where there are, you know, surgeries to prevent the women from enjoying sex. I didn't know that was a thing. Oh my God. Should I know? Is that like a... Shut, you need to just shut this down. You need to just not even act like you don't know. Yes. That's awful. Or, yes, it is. It is terrible. So... There's so many things that are already calmless. trying to help women not enjoy sex. Why would you need a surgery to help you not enjoy yeah. sex? Yeah. So there are, you know, it's very much frowned upon that... So then women feel very uncomfortable because also think about being a 17-year-old girl. Or let's fast forward and say you're, you're in college and you have experienced sex. And now you're like, I know from my own discovery and what I've experienced, what feels good. Masturbation, well, yes. You know, you're drunk, both of you or whatever, you right. know, and then you're trying to tell this drunk guy what feels good and then he gets offended and then you feel terrible, and he's going around, like, making it seem possibly bad to his buddies that you knew so much about sex, or that, Oh, she's you know, a slut. She's you should a, hear what she said. Yeah. Yep. Like, that stuff. And, or the, you know, the potential, like, that you're hurt and offended. I think that's more likely. I think it's... I understand what you're saying, and I'm sure that it happens. I think it's less likely that a guy goes and says, this girl had more experience than me. She's a slut. Let me tell you what she said. Well, you wouldn't say she has more experience than me. you just say she's a slut. She's been around. She knows what she's doing or uh, something like that. But, yeah, but more more than that is the second thing you were saying. You're, you take that ego hit because you didn't know as much as she did, and she had to instruct you. And so you take that ego hit, and you do two things. You shut down emotionally as the guy, and you go and drink to medicate. So this cycle of medicinal drinking is getting rolling now. I have a 
I have a bad experience in bed and, you know, I'm just going to drink that away. And the woman shuts down too, right? Because here you've worked up the courage to communicate and share what would feel good. And you have made your partner feel, that communication has made your partner feel ashamed or, you know, demoralized. And so you're like, well, why would I ever do that again? Yeah. Why would I ever share that again? Mm -hmm. Negative experience. Yeah. So the the poorly received communication leads to a greater lack of communication. So at the risk of oversimplification, that's a risk I am willing to take here, Sherry. We have a communication problem. More so than we have an intimacy problem. More so than we have a pure alcoholism problem. We have a huge, huge, not can't be overstated how big the communication problem we have. It starts with, you know, the cultures in which we are brought up. Talking about sex is taboo. When you bring in the religious component, there's lots of religious sects in which sects. I can't have a podcast about sex and then say the word sects. Yes. That's like, did you ever, I used to get confused when people would talk about horror movies. I'd be like, it's a movie about a bunch of prostitutes? No, horror movies. So now I say it really. Horror. Let's get back on track. Stop derailing me, will you? <laughs> uh, so you've got religious, uh, what's another word besides sects? Religious communities, religious paths that, you know, completely disallow talking about sex and intimacy. And so it's taboo. Culturally, it's taboo in, in your little community. A female orgasm. You know, I don't even want to get into the Catholic Church and the the issues with uh, pedophilia. I mean... Or just abstinence. And then what do we do when that happens? We have, let's just not talk about it. Let's brush it under the rug. And I'm not saying you and I. I'm saying that's what the church did. The Catholic Church did forever. So... That's a that's a whole other podcast that somebody else is going to do because that's not our area. But right. but you know, there's just such a disconnect between communication and the religious community, largely, right? Mm-hmm. Taboo in in society in general. The topic of transactional sex. If if as females you're taught to this is how you please a guy, like you said before. Um, I'm not even talking about prostitution. I'm talking about. Um, well, this penetration, bang, 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 long as you can, isn't doing me any good. So um, what can I get out of this? Um, at least I can get bought dinner before I let the guy do this. That's, that's to me, that the term I would use is transactional sex. Um, so if you're in a uh, situation where you've experienced a lot of transactional sex, how are you supposed to turn 180 and start to expect pleasure out of your sexual experiences or know how to communicate about pleasure in your sexual experiences. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like for a guy, it's always about pleasure. I think I can say that pretty much universally. It's, it's almost always about pleasure. But for a woman, sex is used in so many different ways besides pleasure. And it's the patriarchy and it's, you know, like you said, transgenerational messaging. It's, it goes back forever. So it's nobody's fault. But communicating about pleasure and intimacy when sex is used in so many other different ways is really, really difficult. Um, You know, the, the, the ego hit that we take as it relates to performance when we're told, do this instead of that, that shuts people down. We just talked about that. Then you've got, you know, the... When we're drunk, we are kind of numb to what's going on around us, horny animals. So, you know, that that's not a nice scenario for communication. There's nothing good going on there. You've got the situations. I think this is an important one. Sometimes intimacy in relationships stops before the drinking starts. And we've talked about how alcohol is medicinal, and often it's medicinal because of rejection. Well, sometimes you know, chicken or the egg, the rejection comes first. Sometimes the rejection comes because the person's a drunk slob. That was our case, right? I was a drunk Mm -hmm. slob and you started to grow unattracted to me. But sometimes there's some other reason 
that the intimacy stops and that the female stops being attracted to the husband. And that's when the guy turns to drinking. Mm -hmm. That's another huge, you know, component. And just communicating about why is intimacy going away is so difficult. So rather than communicate as the guy, we just start drinking. Mm. No bueno. Um, we talked about the hormonal changes after childbirth. That's a big deal. Um, and just a lack of communication around that. If if you had understood what was going on with you hormonally well enough to express it to me, you know, I was already drinking pretty heavily, so it might not have gone great. But if you take alcohol out of the picture, at least I could have understood and had some compassion and empathy and maybe we wouldn't have wrecked our intimate relationship and and things could have been a lot better. Uh, often in relationships, the sex drive doesn't match up and that's something that we just struggle to communicate about or just don't. It's not always that the guy wants it more than the woman, although that's the predominant situation. But sometimes the woman wants it more and there's still pain and resentment. It doesn't matter which direction it goes. But we don't do a very good job of talking about it. We're just trained not to communicate about it. Yeah. Um, needs need to be understood. I like using need back to back in a sentence. Needs need to be understood. We need to be sober and compassionate, and we need to be good listeners and responsive and be able to understand that it's not a shot. It's not a shot at our ego. It's not a... a criticism, uh, your hormonal situation after childbirth is not a shot at me. Your desire to be touched in one way versus the other is not a shot at me. And that's not something that we're good at understanding as males. Uh, the higher, here's, here, this is important, I think. The higher sex drive, whoever has that, whether it's the male or the female, that's not an evil thing. I often felt bad in our relationship because I wanted it more than you. I felt like a dirty, horny, you know, person. It's not bad to have a higher sex drive. You got to communicate so that you can come to some compromises, but it doesn't make you evil or dirty. Would you agree with that? I do. I do. But you agree? Do you? I agree. There has to be. That at times you didn't yeah, maybe because, understand that or feel Yeah, that? because there would be an argument and a backlash and then you would say words that would hurt were meant to hurt me to make me feel bad because I had, you know, made you feel bad about having a higher sex drive. You would make me feel bad about not having a higher sex drive. And even though I would try to explain it, you were not able to understand like why I wasn't into it. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to wrap this up by talking about how important intimacy is not just, I think often when we talk about intimacy, being, you know, sexual contact plus trust and vulnerability. That's kind of what, how you could define intimacy. It's not just important for the female. It's super, now that I'm sober, it is super important to me. It is important to me that you are deriving pleasure from our relationship. And, you know, that can look like different things on different nights. That can be a back rub because that's what you want. And that's all you want. It doesn't have to mean you orgasm. But, it's, you know, when you, you know, you having full on pleasure brings me a great deal of pleasure because it's this connection. And, and that's what I want. I'm not drinking the lack of connection away anymore. So that connection has become important to me. What would you say about that? Is that connection important to you? Hmm. Yeah, I I think it's important. I think I'm still to the point where I don't find it to be as important, like a healthy, intimate sexual relationship as important to our relationship as a whole, you know, outside of the bedroom. Like, I still feel like that to me is is primarily the most important communication and trust and vulnerability outside of the bedroom but the more positive experiences I have outside of the bedroom it's making it easier inside the bedroom for yeah that that's progress I think the key is we got to just keep talking about this Sherry but yay 
We don't have to talk about it for a while. We'll go another couple of months before this is the lead subject on the podcast. But, you know, we keep learning stuff and we got to share what we learn. That's what kind of what it's all about. I love you. Yep, I love you too. Do you like me though? <laughs> before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.